Hello everybody, welcome back to Christians United Ministry. My name is Travis and I it's been I know about three to four days since I posted and that's because of Easter weekend. As I'm sure many people are, my, I have a huge thing with family coming over and everything, so it's I had is absolute zero time to even think to myself. So to make up for it, I'm doing two chapters today, Matthew twenty-three and Matthew twenty-four. I will post them separately. But I'm going to be recording them together, but they're going to be separated. Um, so, without further ado, we're going to turn to our Matthew series in Matthew 23. But before we get into it, I just wanted to have kind of a little conversation, a little bit, uh, not conversation, but I wanted to say something. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said they didn't believe in Easter, but they're Christian. And I said, why don't you believe in Easter? Well, she said, the, I, I don't believe in Easter, buying all that, yada, yada, yada. And it's just the Bible, uh, it's knowing the Bible to have Easter. And we got to remember that Easter is just a name that we made. All right, but what, what it is, is we're celebrating the sacrifice the Lord gave us. Now we know, okay, does it say in the Bible the dates? No. This is just the time we choose to celebrate it as a community, community of Christians. You know, so a group of us Christians all come together and we're like, you know what, we're going to celebrate what the Lord has done for us. And the same thing goes for Christmas, you know. I know the Bible says anywhere that Jesus Christ was born that day, but that's the day we choose to celebrate that God gave us his ultimate gift, which was his only begotten son. We celebrate it. And I think to myself, it's like, we celebrate our own birthdays, right? You celebrate your daughter's birthday, your birthday, your your parents' birthday, your wife's birthday, your husband's birthday, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And why don't we celebrate his birthday? Now, I I I know that okay, the Easter Bunny that's man made out. That's just specifically for kids to learn about the holiday, and I think that's a good idea to have. Like, okay, you know, because kids don't understand. Remember, we got to grow them up a particular type of way because they don't understand it yet. They don't understand it, but that's why with Easter Bunny and Santa Claus they get them excited for the holiday and, they, and then they learn, start to learn more about it. It's like, you know, my children, you get presents but it's also about giving. Because God gave to us so we should give to others. You know, so it's it's not about the Easter Bunny or, or, or Santa or getting presents or Easter baskets or any of that stuff. What it's about is celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ and his ultimate sacrifice and God's greatest gift. So that's kind of what I wanted to just mention a little bit because some people, aren't, I think they're not celebrating for the wrong reasons. I mean, you don't have to have Easter Bunny. You don't have to have Santa. You just celebrate that. We took the last weekend to celebrate that Jesus Christ was on the cross and, you know, and we're making that known. We're keeping that in our memory because that's something that gave us everything. It gave us the new covenant, forgiveness, it gave us mercy. And without that he didn't have to do that, but without it, we wouldn't be automatically forgiven. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have the opportunity to have repentance, to repent. So this is just something I wanted to share. So let's get right back into it. We're going to go Matthew 23, verse 1. And remember, I do got my notes. I've been writing down. I've been taking notes. I've been doing some research 
uh, from other places online to get kind of a better uh, uh, way of explaining it. Because I know sometimes my explanations uh, aren't great because I don't know how to explain Like I understand it. I just don't know how to put it in words and, and, and exactly um, explain it. So I've been using other, uh, not really other people's uh, way of saying it. But I've been looking at how they explain it and then putting it into my own words and um, praying before I do it. So that way I know I'm not giving you bad information. So let's get right into Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. And do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all the works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries, hope I said that correctly, and enlarge the boulders of their garments, and love the utmost rooms of at feast in the chief seat in the synagogues and greetings in the market to be called of men rabbi rabbi but not yet called rabbi for one is your master even christ and all ye are brethren and call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father which is in heaven Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself be abased, be abased. And he that humble himself shall be called, exalted rather, sorry. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them, that are entering to go in. Woe well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye also receive the greater damnation. Woe well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make the make one proselyte, proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yours. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever shall swear by the altar is nothing. But whoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctified the gift, who therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that is sitting therein. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, 
and omitted the weighter, weighter matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and have not leave the other undone. Ye blind guides would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Well, unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whitened sepulchres. Don't know how to say that either. Which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and all of uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous to men, but, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because that you, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of righteousness. And say, if they, if we had been born, if we had been in the days of our father, we had not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up the, the, the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, and how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias. On this generation, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem thou that killest the prophets, and stone Behold, your house is left unto your desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me. So that whole thing was all about Jesus Christ's saying. He's talking to us directly now. Uh, remember, we're going to start seeing less of that as we go further because now he's going to be taken. It's coming pretty soon, actually. Um, so let's get right into it. So on the other, in the prior chapter, Jesus silenced the religious leaders with his astonished responses to their questions. Um, and here in chapter 3, we um, he begins to describe various ways in which the scribes and Pharisees have failed their God-given roles in leading people. So these people, these people, like the Pharisees, scribes, these hypocrites, have really... Blasphemy, rather, blasphemy the role. You know, they were, they took their positions and made it more about men than God. So let's let's, let's continue forward and see what Jesus. Let's go over what Jesus said about this. So, 
Jesus begins by acknowledging that the scribes and Pharisees carry a certain level of legitimate authority. They sit metaphorically speaking on the seat of Moses, and Jesus does not tell people to rebel against these leaders. However, he warns them not to imitate their hypocrisy. This begins a systematic takedown of their heart motives and blind, spiritual blindness. Remember, where Jesus is looking deep within. Jesus can see within us. He can see deep well within us. And so many people were impressed by the Pharisees' religious deeds. Christ condemns how the scribes and Pharisees behave, since they do everything for the wrong reasons, and their motives are not sincere. Humble service to God, but to be seen and approved by the people. And that's what the promise is. They're leading people. You know what I'm saying? So if someone's going the wrong path, they're going the wrong path. But these people are leading others down the wrong path. So Jesus has to stop this. And above all, Jesus says the religious leaders live to be noticed, respected, and praised. They show off by making their wearable articles of worship ostentatious. They jockey for the most prestigious seats of feats in the temple. So they they think that they should be at the head, that their outline should be in them. Look at me, I'm a priest, or I'm a Pharisee, I'm a scribe. And, you know, that's what we can, you know, that's what we can also call them, like priests, you know. Um... Just is in terms that we're, we're comfortable with, um, that we that we know rather, and they, they jockey. Um, they love to be called by their official titles in the marketplace, like you know, call, look at me. And Jesus bluntly condemns these attitudes and tells his followers not to make the same mistakes, because we all got to remember that we are all children of Christ. We are no different than the next. It doesn't matter if we are a priest, a preacher. A deacon, a evangelist, a minister, or a, a minister on a podcast, or a person just walking down the street—we're all children of Christ. So, people—he's saying these scribes are getting this to their head, and he uses the one word a lot. And we're going to see that what that word is going to be, and that word is hypocrite. So let's, let's remember that. And at this point, Jesus pronounces God's judgment on these men. And this comes through a series of seven woe statements about their what? Hypocrisy. The term woe is more or less kept intact from the Greek why. The word is like other exclamations, such as alas or oh. English speakers might image Jesus shaking his head while saying, oh, this is bad to capture the true feeling of the term, you know, the, the woe and it's like they're used, he uses the word woe to really bring out the fact that this is bad that this is not good like, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking and now let's get right into the first of the woes and this is the first of many in the chapter where Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. This is derived from the Greek term hypocrites, which literally refers to stage actors. These are people who behave in pretending artificial ways, entirely different from their real thoughts. In this case, these are leaders who tell people to do something while they themselves do the opposite. Their faulty leadership slams the door of eternity in people's faces. Their choices will not lead them to heaven. And those who follow their example will be lost as well. 
So next we're continuing to the second woe, and that is verse 14. And here, they were talking, Jesus talked about the Pharisees devoured the homes of widows by placing large burdens of these famously poor and overlooked members of society, or by failing to protect them from the burdens placed on them by others. After losing their husbands, widows were in danger of losing their entire livelihood. If those resources were not carefully managed, Israel, Israel's religious leaders should have stepped in to help by struggling women, help these struggling women rather, rather than taking advantage of them to enrich the temple. And that's exactly what they were doing. And here we're going to go to the third well. Jesus now calls the Pharisees and scrams blind guides. And I'm sure we can all figure out, what does he mean by blind guides? What does he mean by blind? Now, obviously, they can physically see. He's not talking about this. He's, in this course, he has used, and usually used this term before, um, blindness is often used in Scripture to symbolize those who reject God's message, making it impossible for them to perceive what is spiritually true. In this case, Jesus Christ points to their rational approaches to vows. Logically, swearing by any of the sacred objects would amount by swearing to God in heaven. Instead, the scribes and Pharisees simply imply some oaths can easily be broken, a practice Jesus has also condemned. Attempting to create loopholes in one's integrity is not only dishonest, but also foolish. And to kind of even... Because remember, I'm reading notes that I've kind of altered... A little bit. I'm re you, can, you can obviously tell I'm reading something, and I'm reading what uh, other people online have said, and I've come to, and I've really compiled a lot of it. I found some really good explanations. But so I'm, I go from reading to breaking off and giving my own explanation, if that helps you guys at all. Um, but remember, Jesus Christ says we can't have, a, we can't make oath by God. We can't. Um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't swear, we shouldn't promise, because we can't change anything. What they're doing is, they're not only doing that, but they're changing it. So they say, you know what? It's okay. You know what? Uh, I know the Bible says I shouldn't do this, but, you know, I'm a priest, I'm a Pharisee. I could do whatever I want, you know. I could be easily broken. And they're just really, it's, it's really a sad uh, practice. We have to extremely be careful of that. And the fourth wall is these religious leaders carefully give ten percent of their crops, even as the tiniest, even the tiniest herbs. This was not wrong, as it means applying the law of Moses to the tiniest details of their lives. However, the other details of the scribes and Pharisees' teachings left enormous aspects of God's law unresolved. Their emphasis on legalism, technicalities, and wooden literal literalism, instead. They should have put equal emphasis on mercy, justice, and faithfulness. This error is an absurd as using a screen to clear insects out of drinking water while swallowing a massive animal. And what he's saying is, is like they're, they're being very technical here. Like a guy used 10 crops, or 10 smallest ones, but they're not being literal everywhere else. They're not... You know, um, they're not following everything, whether it's justice, mercy, faithfulness, um, teachings of the God, of Bible and stuff. So they're they're holding on to small traditions while breaking up bigger ones, and that's what Jesus is saying here. 
Going on to the next one. The scribes and Pharisees are committed to their public image, and they do they do go to great lengths to look good, and to other people. However, their spiritual state is one of hypocrisy and death, and this is like wiping the outside of cups and dishes while leaving the insides filthy, echoing his teachings in the subject. Jesus tells them to clean inside first, and the other outside will follow. So he's saying there's, there's like first off, they're they're coming trying to make themselves look like idols, and in a way, it's idolatry. They're making themselves idols. Look at me, you know. I'm a Pharisee. Everybody best bow down to me. Everybody must, you know, look up to me. But while well, the outside looks nice, right? Their position, their clothes, their insides, death. Is dead. It's rotten. It's ugly, and it's actually quite interesting because Jesus says to clean the inside first, and clean the outside first. The inside first, the outside will follow. And that means it's like, listen, if your inside is clean, your outside will be clean as well. You can always fake your outside, but you can't fake your inside. Listen, what is he talking about? The inside. He's talking about our heart. Our heart is what must be clean. So being important to remember. Using a second, even more graphic analogy, Jesus contrasts the Pharisees and scribes' outer appearance with their inner spirits. Grave sites in that era were often covered in lime and had some decorative objects. These are appealing to the eye, but do not change the decay or death under the surface. In the way, in the same way, the hypocrites in Israel's leadership, Israel's religious leadership, use pious outwards actions to cover inner hypocrisy and lawlessness and that's it's going on exactly what I think what Jesus is saying is that they're doing so much to clean their outside yet their inside is disgusting moving on to our last woe Jesus concludes the woes by showing that the Pharisees claim to honor the prophets of old but they are just as guilty as their own forefathers who persecuted and killed messengers from God God's measure of wrath eventually reaches a tipping point. For that reason, Jesus declares that this generation of Israel's religious leaders will suffer the consequences that of the many righteous people unjustly killed throughout their history. Far from changing their ways, this hateful persecution will continue in the years after Jesus is crucified and raised from the dead. So he's saying that they've, they've killed unrighteous people in the past, right? So they've persecuted and killed messengers of God. And now he's saying that these people, these religious leaders will suffer the same way that those guys messengers. Because remember, we've read it in, 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 in the past of Matthew and um, we've seen it in previous parts of the Bible. People, people were being sent as messengers of God, but yet they kept it, but those messengers were getting killed getting um, hurt so that's what he's saying they're going to suffer the same way they did and Matthew 23 ends with Jesus lament over Jerusalem speaking of his divine perspective he mourns over how he would have protected the people but they refused this is the end point of Jesus' public ministry the following chapters contain extensive teachings given to the disciples but no more public lessons or encounters there will be no more opportunities for people to hear directly from him 
worse, the city will soon experience horrific wrath as the protection of God is removed. The next time people of Jerusalem will see Jesus openly will be when he returns as a conquering judge and king. That, my friends, is a reference and an allusion to what? The revelation. Revelation when Jesus comes back. And this this is honestly such a scary moment. This this was the last time that they publicly heard from Jesus. They have heard no more from him. They have no more opportunities to be saved. And he's telling, he just told us a lot of people have refused to be held by him. And unfortunately, it's too late for them. It had up until now. You know, a lot of people are going to, you're going to see come soon. You're going to see somebody who wants to help, and he does help them. But you got to remember that we cannot wait till the last moment. That's what he's signifying here. We cannot wait till the last moment. And one point is, um, I want to point out, is when God's protection is removed. But he's also talking about Revelation there. He's talking about Revelation. When you go through that tribulation, we're not going to have God's protection. It's going to be removed. We're going to have to go through it if we're not clean enough. To. So that does end Matthew 23. I am actually going to sign off for this right now and actually record 24. So if you stayed right tuned, you just go right from this one to the next one. You have both chapters. Well, anyways, my name is Travis, and this is Christians United Ministry. God be with you.